We're going to be in Mark this morning. Uh, I'm going to read, talk, and see what God says. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, open it to Mark chapter 1. And uh, it's going to be up also up on the screen. Um, but real fast, Mark, I just I, I want to explain something because a lot of times we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as like Jesus' biographies. And, and the truth of the matter is, is I, I, that these books are not really the biographies of Jesus, even though they include some of his story. They're written for people. They're actually gospels. The gospel of Matthew, Matthew's account of what happened. This is not just to tell people, okay, here's, here's some information about Jesus. And so each of these gospels, they were written with a specific uh, audience in mind and with a specific purpose. And so Matthew, uh, before we, we, we talk, we, we get into Mark, but Matthew, uh, if you read through Matthew, you'll notice that his writing is a lot different because he's, uh, he, he borrows a lot from the Old Testament. And those of you who are reading the chronological um, Bible with us this year, uh, Matthew's going to make so much more sense whenever we get to Matthew uh, towards the end of the year. You can be like, no way, because Matthew pulls a lot, like over 100 references from the Old Testament, because Matthew is writing to the Jews, and, he, and his, his gospel, that, that Jesus, he is the new king, but he, but he, but he doesn't say king. He's, he, he writes to Jews because Jew, the Jewish people were waiting for a Messiah, so his context is that he's writing to the, to, to the Jewish people, and he's trying to connect, and he's connected the dots that this is Jesus, the promised Messiah, the Messiah that you have been waiting for. This is who he is. And so it's not written in, chronolo in chronological order from the life of Jesus to the death of Jesus, but it's more written like there's a story, and then he teaches. Story, and he teaches, because he's trying to convince the Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah, and that's the language that is used a lot. So it's it's so when you're reading through Matthew, if you don't have a lot of Jewish or Hebrew knowledge, it's going to be like, what's going on here? Like the genealogies, our, our you know we who live in America, we're like genealogies is such a waste of of, of a chapter, but for the Jewish person person, it's it, it's so convicting that there is a lineage of where Jesus came from that that is enough for them to say Jesus is the Messiah. Like it's that powerful. Mark, uh, on the other hand, was written to Romans, and so he was writing specifically to reach the Romans, and the Romans didn't really care for the Messiah. But what they did know, uh, the Romans, was um, the whole concept of kingdom, dominion, domains, um, subjects, persecution, discipleship, discipline. And so he writes to the Romans, and Jesus he, he words Jesus as the son of God because if he would talk about him being Messiah, it wouldn't really resonate. So he's, he's talking about Jesus, the son of God. And God and king were, were kind of, they were, they were kind of, they meant the same thing. You know, they believed that the Caesar was God. He was also king, but they believed he was God. It was, it was just that ver, the verbiage is, is quite interesting. And so whenever you say Jesus is the son of God, that he is God, that he's king, it's, it's, that's where the, the Romans are like, well, no, no, no. That, 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 that's going to get you killed. And so Mark's writing is in that regard. Um, and then later on, Luke, Luke writes to the Gentiles. And he was talking, uh, and his thing is to the Gentiles, is like, you guys, and you have to understand, this, these were written after Jesus was, uh, after he resurrected, and, and, and a, a couple hundred years afterwards. So he's basically trying to convince all the Gentile people, the Greeks specifically, because they have a Greek mindset, that Jesus was a man. 
Jesus was not some sort of myth, some sort of legend. He was a real, physical, tangible man, a person. And so um, Luke talks about that. And then uh, John, the last book of John, which is kind of interesting because Matthew, Mark, Luke, they kind of cover like the life of Jesus. John is, is uh, I think it's the longest book possibly, if I'm not mistaken. But what's interesting with John is that he covers the last 30 days of Jesus' life. And so a lot of times we tell people, hey, go read the book of John, you know, when you're new. And it's, and it's like, that's probably not the greatest thing to do because it's only the last 30 days of Jesus' life. Um, but John is writing to Jews and Gentiles, that, and, he's, and he's affirming and confirming that Jesus is God. He's not just a good person or just another prophet. He is God. So in Mark's gospel, uh, we're going to read, we're going to be in chapter 1, and I'm just going to read and chat about this, but just the, the idea of the, the, he's he's... he's talking to the Romans and, and just the terminology that he uses, uh, uh, Jesus being God. All right. If you guys have your Bibles, it's going to be up on the screen. Let's get going. You guys ready? Yes. Hokie dokie. Okay. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Wow. See, there you go. I was right. Um, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel, uh, camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I. And we just, we just read the description of, of John the baptizer. All he was doing was telling people, repent and be baptized. And he's saying, but there's one who is more powerful than I. He's coming and he's coming after me, not just after you guys. He's coming after me. And I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. And John was considered to be a prophet. Uh, and this is going to be pretty interesting for, for later. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. After John was arrested, and I, this is pretty interesting. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee and pro proclaiming the good news of God. Proclaiming the, the good news of God. Verse 15. You guys love this reading? Isn't this? The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Okay, I'm going to pause over here and we'll pick up at verse 16 in, in a minute. 
So this language from Jesus is already a language that for the Romans who were there, and, and you read the story of, of John, so all sorts of people were coming to John to be baptized. And uh, the, like I think in Matthew talks about, you know, there are some soldiers there who are saying, hey, what do we need to do? And John addressed the soldiers. So, so John's capturing all these people. And so if the soldiers were there when Jesus um, is starting to proclaim the kingdom of God is, is near, that creates a lot of fear in the Romans because all of a sudden there's another kingdom and it's close. What's going on here? Because that means battle. That means war. That means disturbance. That means all sorts of things um, in their mind. What is interesting, if you note, is this in the book of Mark, it starts out straight out just trying to explain God, explain Jesus. But if you notice, it does not include the beloved Christmas story. There's no manger. There's no Joseph. There's no Mary. There's none of that. He just goes, go, he goes straight into the straight to the point. And it's pretty cool because what he does, because these verses are so, so packed. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat putting their nets in order. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Okay, I'm going to pause there. So Jesus, he comes down. John prepares the way. He gets baptized. He goes into the wilderness. He comes out empowered completely. And because he's now empowered, John's purpose was like, has ceased. John did what he was supposed to do. And so in this situation, John was arrested. And in essence, that was the will of God. And many times we're looking for God to take us out of the circumstance, but not realizing that maybe God's presence is for you in your circumstances wherever you find yourself maybe he's not there to get you out and if you're living for yourself it is all about God help me save me stop this stop this but when you step into and you begin to live for the kingdom then the questions are not how do I feel what do I want but the question is like is this what you want Jesus do you want me to be in prison right now? Then I will be in prison right now. Do you want me to suffer through this? Then I will suffer through this. What do you want me to do? It creates a whole other dynamic because there is not a debate. Like in America, we, you know, we, we, we want to debate. We want to have our voices heard. In the kingdom, it, it's God's presence and God's reign. It is word. It is law. It is the foundation. And, and, and when you look at even the movies that, they're, that, 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 um, that we see like in the shows where it talks about kingdoms, what makes these shows really super interesting is that you have a lot of battles, a lot of death, a lot of bad, bad kings, and, and their kingdoms are taking other kingdoms by force. So they're going to battle with them, and they're, and they're, and they're killing the men, and they're taking the women, and, and, and enlarging their kingdom by force. And when Jesus was saying kingdom, this is what they were thinking of. They were thinking of, of war. 
So as Jesus begins to speak about the kingdom of God, begins to proclaim it, he then begins to demonstrate how people enter into his kingdom. And we established over the last few weeks what the kingdom of God is. Some people believe that it's a physical place where, where we're on earth and we're going to establish God's kingdom on this earth. So we got to make sure that we tackle the government, tackle the school, make sure we, we pass the right moral laws in place and make America Christian again. That kind of a thinking that we're going to do this, you know, let's, 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 let's usher in the kingdom. And, and that's not what the Bible teaches, even though there is a shift in culture when the kingdom does invade. But it's not taking it like by force where you force rules and regulations on people the kingdom of god is set up and the way that people enter the kingdom it's through invitation jesus invites people into the kingdom he invites them because he is a good king and he loves all people but he will not force you to love another human being he will not force you to love god he will not force you to receive you may be saved and you may be struggling for the rest of your life because he's not going to force you to receive all that he has for you that's what Sean was saying, you know, he got healed, and, uh, and even the things that he said even before, um, even leading up, because we were talking about communion, and he's like, you know what people really need to, need to really understand is that, is that it's not just you just kind of receive it, like, kind of like, oh, okay, but no, you have to kind of, you have to, you have to grab for it, you have to take it, it's there, you don't have to pray for it, you don't have to fight for it, you don't have to appease God for it, you don't have to gather a bunch of Christians to, to, to pound on the gates of heaven, please give me this, no, it's there, you just receive it by faith. It's a powerful ideology, a powerful form of constitution where you're like, that's the kingdom of God. And he gives freely to those who ask, seek, and knock. But what we've established is that the kingdom of God becomes evident in a place here, in your home, in your work, wherever you are, you have the potential to bring in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is God's manifested presence wherever you go. Where a person is submitted to God in every circumstance, in every situation. You have an issue in your marriage and there may be some conflict, but because you're under the, the kingship of God, you say, Jesus, you're my king. How should I do this? Jesus, you're my king. You need to help me. Jesus, you're my king. I need the right words to tell my spouse, to tell my children, to tell my boss. Jesus, we're not going to make rent this month. It's on you. Like It, it, may, it may seem like petty stuff, but the reality is that the king is there. The king is there, and a good king is distinguished from a bad king in the, in, in the way that, that, or let me say it this way, you know that a king is good, it's based on how he treats those who are subject and submitted to him. So it's the presence of God being manifested in your reality. And it's, you know, and it's not just a gooey feeling like, oh God, come down, please, let me feel something. Those are cool, and, and I love those, and I think those are dynamic, but it's, it's, it's a mind shift where you're like, Jesus, I've submitted my life under you. Like, I'm done doing it my way. I'm going to do it your way. 
And when you say that, this requires for you to talk to the king. Most of us don't talk to the king. And we don't hear the king's voice. So we do things our way. But imagine if you said, Jesus, I have a problem and I just don't know what to do. So I'm going to wait for you to tell me. I'm just going to wait. And you may wait for an hour. You may wait for a day. You may wait for a month. And some of you are still waiting. But if you know that you're a place where only the king's direction will do in your situation, you will wait until you receive the answer from heaven. But if you have a plan B, then you're like this. Jesus, what do you want me to do? I don't feel nothing. All right, let's go. Because you already have a plan B. And you've not submitted under Jesus' reign. Like this is so vital. And this is how, he, this is, this is how it happens. And, and Mark begins to illustrate for us. It's not going to happen but force. He's not going to make you. He's not going to cause all this harm in your life. You know, you're on drugs. You're in jail. You're a broken family. And now, now do you want my kingdom? Homie, how you, how you like your life now? Come here, let me pull you out of the pit of drugs and addiction and, and bad destructive habits. Let me pull you into my kingdom. No, we don't see this at all happening with what Mark is writing about. What we just read is that Jesus went to a business family who were successful in their business, who had hired help, not to pull them from under something that they're like, oh, no, he just said, you're doing good. Come and follow me. In America, we have this narrative that, that life has to beat you upside down and bury you before the kingdom of God and the message of salvation is going to be like applicable and oh yeah. So, and no wonder the world looks at us and like, oh yeah, Christianity is just a crutch. Where did they get that from? Because all the testimonies like, man, I was down and out. I was on drugs and got this person pregnant and I didn't have a job and then Jesus came and he pulled me out and I've been and I've been saved ever since and it was like oh that's an amazing salvation story that's wow I can't believe that you hear the guy's story yeah so so 80% of the guy's story is is what kind of dump he used to be in or which the kind of dump she used to be in and in the last five minutes is what God has done and it's like and then what and so the world only knows the salvation transition from a horrible, bad situation into a good situation. But when is the time, maybe the time is now, that the world's going to hear whether a business person who's successful, who says, God has called me out and I don't know where he wants me to go. But God's called me to stop what I'm doing and say, yes, King Jesus, you have my attention. Don't wait until the world's falling apart before you're like, okay, Jesus, Okay, Jesus, come save me because Jesus will only be your savior from issues, but he will never be king in your life. He has to become king, and for him to become king, there's an invitation. Jesus said, follow me, and what did they do? Immediately, they left everything behind. See, two things here. There's an invitation into the kingdom of God, so you have to follow Say it with me. I 
have to follow. Like it's so simple, but most of us don't follow. Am I right or am I nuts? When we, begin to po- when we begin to follow, there is an evidence of a shift in our lives. There has to be. Because we go from following us to following the creator of the universe who has not struck me dead, but has invited me into his kingdom. This is why reading the Bible is so vital. This is why talking with God is so vital because that is you following Him. That is you training your ear to listen out for what God is telling you, what God is showing you, how God is communicating to you. And for some of you, maybe what He's going to tell you when you begin to follow, maybe He's going to tell you, you need to move from here to here. And there's not going to be from this job to that job. Maybe you need to quit your job, sell your job, and move here and have no clue what God wants you to do. I don't know. For some of you, God wants to, for you to expand your business, to hire some people that you maybe don't want to hire, to bring them into your fold because God has the next level, the next plan set up for you. And the thing of it is, is I don't know what God, wants you, what God wants from you. But when you follow, you'll begin to hear Because now you have to hear, or you can't follow. You have to follow some voice. So we see this happening. They follow, they leave things behind, and and then he puts them on mission. He tells them what they're going to need to do. You become fishers of men. So this is not like, hey, leave your stuff and just come and, 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 and just come to church and be a, a weird Christian. Somehow God's going to provide. You need to go somewhere, God's leading me to go and I have to raise funds. And we have like this messed up thing where we want to do things for us and then we're telling people that God wants us to do those things. And we, oh, the Christianity in America is a mess of a mess. And it has to stop. There has to be a shift. We cannot keep doing what we've been doing. We cannot keep doing what what we've seen done. We just cannot. Otherwise, you join another social club that you can give money to, that you can volunteer, feel good about yourself, and continue to live your life. This is why... A lot of Christians' lives are a wreck and it's messed up and they don't know where to turn because they're not subjected and submitted to the king's voice in all areas of their life. Now, I've got a few more verses. Verse 21. Oh, man. They went into Capernaum and right away he entered the synagogue, Jesus, on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority. Not like the scribes. Verse 23. 
Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him saying, Be silent and come out of him. An unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouting with a loud voice, and came out of him. They were all amazed. You see, they were amazed at Jesus' authority. Because Jesus is king, he knows that he's accepted that he was always king, he will always be king. And when you know who you are, when you know who you are, you will have the confidence and the authority wherever you go because you already know who you are. And your authority and your, and your identity does not come from where you are. It does not come from where you were born. It comes from God himself. That is your identity. And when you receive your identity from heaven, then you will be confident, you will be bold to tackle on whatever the mission God has for you. They were all amazed. And now they, they, were, they were asking each other because they see this craziness. What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Now I love this verse. And at once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. This is what needs to happen. This verse right here. And at once the news about him. Insert your name in there. And at once the news about... Say your name. Say your name like you mean it. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Like, and the news wants to spread about throughout the entire vicinity. Why? Because the kingdom of, of God is evident right there. And by the way, this is Jesus' first time in church. So people can come together and the manifestation of God will not be present. It's not just a matter of us coming together and saying, oh, we're Christians, we're going to come to church. No, when, when, when the kingdom of God is truly in a place, people know, people feel, people see. There's a connection that's beyond, hey, I know you. There's a connection that says something is in the air and I see it and I sense it and I feel it. Do you? And it's like mutual. And I love this because when two people come together for whatever, and it's like, it's like you come together and you look at each other, and all of a sudden you get all emotional. And you're like, do you see it? Do you, do you feel it? Do you feel it? And it's this presence where, you, where two people have submitted to the king of kings, and there's purpose for the meeting or for whatever it is that's happening. So Mark is demonstrating, Mark is demonstrating that when Jesus showed up, he he showed us what it was like whenever the kingdom of God ascends in the place that you are at. He showed us how we invite people in. We don't go out and pursue them and say, please join the church. Please become a Christian. Oh, you just wait until your life completely falls apart. And then you'll be like, oh, I need God. And I'll be here saying, yes, you do. Say the sinner's prayer. Not at all from what we gather right now. This is completely different. This is like, hey. Come and follow me. And they were not listening to Jesus for the very first time. 
We think that, oh, he just like walked by and he had no clue who, who they were. And he's like, oh, there's some strangers. Hey, come follow me. And this is what we do with evangelism. We just go knock on random people's door and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Like, how odd is that? How weird is that? Jesus called them by name. He invited, he invited them into his kingdom by name. He had a relationship with them, and his relationship was so dynamic because where he was, the kingdom of God was. And the people around you may not see it today. They may not see it tomorrow, but in a month, in two months, they're going to be like, you know, there's something different about you. Because there has to be, if you've submitted your life to the king of kings, and you're, and you're around people who have submitted their lives to themselves, there has to be a difference, and there will. It's not up for, it's not to, for me and for you to be able to just, oh, come, come see. No. The kingdom of God has to come on us and seep out of us wherever we go. That's what I want in my life. I don't care where I am. I don't care what obstacles I'm going through. It doesn't really matter because I'm always asking Jesus, you have to show up. Jesus, you have to show up. I need this from you. I need you to answer this. I need your guidance. Everything that I'm doing, it's submitted to you. My wife, my kids, my attitude, my tempers, my disbelief, everything. God, I just, I just, just, you have to show up and you have to, this, it's all, it's on you. It's on you. If Jesus is not our Savior and our Lord, then he's a Jesus that we've made in our own image, and he's a fake Jesus. Maybe that's why your Christianity is shallow. You're worshiping and trying to follow the Jesus that you made in your own image. He's a fake. Maybe you need to say, Jesus, I've, I've, I've boxed you into to my reign, to my rule. And maybe that's why heaven is silent. Maybe this is your answer from heaven, that you need to just kind of suspend all your ideas about Jesus and say, Jesus, show yourself for real in my life. Pick up your Bible, start reading, start learning, start, start asking the Holy Spirit to reveal and show you things in the scripture about who Jesus is, about what it looks like to live out the kingdom, about what to expect. Begin to pursue it, begin to reach for it because this is real. Like this is so real. Now I'm going to wrap up here because I, I just want to point something out. The, the, verse, the first 28 uh, verses, why Jesus has to become a big deal in our life. Like, I don't think that Jesus is a big enough deal in most people, in most Christians' lives. I really, I don't think that he's that big of a deal. And we find in Scripture that Mark makes him a big deal. Like, in the, verse, in, the, in, the, in the first 28 verses that we've read this morning, we find a few things that he's just connecting and saying, Jesus is the Son of God. He's king. And it's not just because a, a, a person here is like, oh, yeah, let's make him king. No, he's, 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 he's putting this whole picture together for the, Roman, for the Roman listeners as well as everybody else. But for the Romans, he's putting it all together. And he starts out with this. This is so, this is so, so cool. What he's saying in, in the first verses is, look, Isaiah and the prophets of old pointed to Jesus and said that Jesus is king. Jesus is God and he's coming. 
everyone from there pointed to him and then he goes in in the next few verses and then he says look even John the Baptist is saying I'm not the one but I have been sent to point to the one and he's coming right after me so he's connecting the old prophets he's connecting their current prophet pointing to Jesus as being king as being Messiah and then God declares Jesus his son whenever Jesus gets baptized so now you have another voice a third voice from heaven where the father saying this is my son in whom I'm well pleased before Jesus has done anything God the father was already pleased with Jesus amazing but he's connecting the look even the heavens are declaring that Jesus is a big deal that he's the son of God and then when Jesus goes into the wilderness Satan begins to challenge and by challenging he acknowledges that this is the son of God oh you say you are the son of God then do this then do that Satan now is also an addition of voices that saying that Jesus is a big deal Jesus is a big deal and then after Satan's done with him then the angels come and minister to the Son of God this is so mm. then Jesus adds in the simple invitation he says John come Go follow God. He says, yo, follow me. And these are just the first 28 verses of Mark. You have this collective agreement of who Jesus is. And when you have this collective agreement of who Jesus is, when you reach out to him, you only think that things are happening in the physical. But I'm telling you that all of you, the universe, everything that's created is like, whoa, we have another person who has submitted himself to, to King Jesus. Crap. So whenever you come in alignment with the King of Kings and you submit yourself under the Kingdom of God, all of creation, seen and unseen, visible and invisible, is paying attention. That's why things shift in the Kingdom of God because it's not just, oh, I said that I'm this. No, 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 no. The whole of universe sees you receiving the invitation to submit yourself to the King of Kings and so now you're another potential kingdom manifested on the planet earth all right the band gonna come up I'm gonna pray I'm gonna leave it just at that because I think that we need to really think about where we are think about what our plan is think about who Jesus is really going to be in our life and it doesn't matter what he was up until today. Right now you have a decision that you need to make. Is Jesus going to be just my version of Jesus? Or is Jesus really going to be the king of kings in my life, over my life, ruling, reigning so that the kingdom can come down through me as an individual person and be manifested in my surrounding? Each and every person who says yes to Jesus has the potential to, to be that, to do that. So Jesus... I thank you and I would like everyone to rise up you can stand up on your feet we're just gonna pray and, and 
Jesus, I thank you that you are not just a myth, you're not just a legend, you're not just uh, some guy who's just trying to have a following, and you're not just some God that just needs to be appeased. You love your people, you care for them, and you've established and redeemed the kingdom that you initially wanted for your creation. And I pray that you convict us, Father, through your spirit, that you convict us of our need for you. Maybe in our life everything is going well, but we really need to be ruled by a king who is just, who is caring. And Jesus, I ask that you show up in our lives. Give us a taste of what it really means to be under your reign, under your rulership, to be guided by you. God, and I pray that each and every person that is here, Father, that we're convicted that our hearts are softened, that we reject the previous Christianity version that's ineffective, but we embrace the kingdom of God. We step into the kingdom of God from this day forward. Our lives will not be the same. Those who come in contact with us will not be the same. My work environment will not be the same. My church environment will not be the same. The school that I go to will not be the same. The teachers that, I, that, that teach me will not be the same. Everything that touches my life will not be the same. You have been empowered to be the difference, to bring the kingdom. But the challenge is, will you receive that and run with it? And I thank you, Jesus, for giving us the opportunity. In your name we pray. Oh, amen, without a doubt.